Thank you for joining us at the First Baptist Church of Coleraine, Massachusetts, as Pastor Jim Rennie continues to faithfully challenge and encourage us in the Word. And it is our prayer that this message will encourage the believer and bring the unbeliever closer to a saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to continue on. I'm going to get three sermons out of chapter 2. The second one is from verse 11 to the end of verse 16. See, originally when this was written, there was no chapter and verses. And we don't want to be rushing it. Paul opposes Peter. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. May God give us understanding of his word. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do need understanding of your word. We need to have it expounded and explained and it's spiritually discerned. So help us to be tuned in, to concentrate, not be distracted be guided by your Holy Spirit to give us enlightenment from the meaning of these few verses that we'll expound today. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me begin by asking a couple of questions. You don't have to answer them verbally. Have you ever had to confront somebody that was causing you problems, that was causing you trouble. Have you ever had to confront anybody? Think about that. You know the answer. Has anybody ever confronted you? Because you were an offense to them. Well, that's what this message is all about today. 
but first in the way of review, for those that never heard the message last week, we learned that uh, St. Paul met with the apostles and the church elders in Jerusalem. And at that very important meeting, it was established that the Gentile Christians didn't have to follow the Jewish customs, like circumcision, for example, to be saved. And even though the apostles agreed with Paul that the Jews and the Gentiles could and were being saved through believing faith in Jesus Christ, not all the Christian Jews in Jerusalem liked it. You can't please everybody. Because old habits die hard and some people do not want to change. Amen? But we have to. If God is working in our hearts through his spirit, we need to change. I need to be changed, don't you? I want to be changed. I want to be more like Jesus, don't you? But some people don't want to be changed. And these Jews, some of these Christian Jews, came from Jerusalem, sent by James, Jesus' half-brother, the Apostle James. And before that happened, uh, St. Peter, Simon Peter, or Cephas, that is known, his name, that means rock, rock. He came to visit the church in Syria. And unfortunately, he created a division amongst all the believers there. There were Jewish believers and they were Gentile believers in that church in Antioch. Antioch in Syria was the first mission headquarters of Paul and Barnabas. It was also there, that was the place, where Christians were called for the first time, where believers were first called Christians. That was in Antioch, in Syria. Look at that country now. It's just completely decimated. You can read that Acts chapter 11, 26, where this is where believers were first called Christians. Now, when Peter, he came to Antioch, he committed a, an error so serious that the apostle Paul felt obligated to confront him face to face and publicly. So what did Peter do wrong to stir up so much trouble? Well, Paul tells us in verse 12, for before certain men came from James, Lord's half-brother, he, Peter, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, you need to hold on to that thought. Before these Christian Jews came down from Jerusalem, Peter ate with the Gentile Christians, and he ate their food. Maybe some nice crispy bacon, some pork chops, some roast beef. But that changed. Paul probably introduced him to that fruit and said, Ooh, this is better than kosher. Mm, I like this. But when they arrived, he, Peter, 
began to draw back, separate himself from the Gentiles because, why? He was afraid of what people thought. Because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter knew better. Um, the Lord had already showed him in a vision one day on the roof. He went on top of a roof. We've already studied the Acts of the Apostles. And there was a sheet come down to all kind, filled with all kinds of animals. And the voice says, Peter, eat. And in Acts chapter 10, you read that. He says, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And this is not kosher food. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So they consider a pig to be unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So he knew better. And when he went to visit a Gentile Christian named Cornelius, at his house, no less, because Jews didn't normally mix with Gentiles, because they were considered to be like, they called them dogs. He knew it was okay for Christian Jews to eat food that wasn't kosher. So he said to Cornelius, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, against the law, for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has showed me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So Peter knew better, didn't he? He knew better. At first, when he arrived in Antioch, he had no problem eating with the Gentiles, Gentile Christians, no problem. They do what we done, or have done in the past. They had these love feasts or potlucks, and they would eat together around the table. The old pork chops, the roast beef, Deviled ham, whatever. It's the only time we want the devil in the potlucks. You know, and he ate that, he ate that grub and loved it. Mm. Especially the crispy bacon. But when he changed his tune pretty quick, when later the, some legalistic Jews came from Jerusalem who continued to practice their dietary laws. And they refused to eat with those Christians in Antioch. So what they did, they separated. They had separate tables, and they, they had this group over there, and they had the, the, the Gentile Christians over there, and they wouldn't eat their food. They only ate their food, kosher food. It was then that Peter played the hypocrite, the first pope. Really? There's no record that he was ever in Rome. He compromised what he knew to be right, to gain approval from his fellow Jews. And he separated himself 
from the Gentile Christians. So what did Paul do when he saw this happening during these potlucks? What would he do? Would he still eat with the Gentile Christians? Or would he go over, because he was a devout Jew, would he go over and eat with Peter and the Christians from Jerusalem? What would he do? Would he keep shtom? Or would he say something? That's a Jewish word, by the way. Shtom means to be silent. Would he be like Peter and compromise and eat with the Jewish Christians so as not to offend them? No. He immediately confronted Peter face to face for his blatant hypocrisy. Even though that rebuke must have embarrassed Peter, he did it publicly. Wouldn't you be embarrassed if somebody rebuked you in public? It probably hurt his feelings. But he needed to be rebuked and he needed to be held accountable. So what the devil was doing and what he still tries to do and has done, he was trying to stir up trouble within the fellowship. He was trying to create divisions and schisms amongst the Christians. That's what he does. The old devil hasn't changed. It happened in the early church and it still happens in churches today. I'll say no more. I'll remain stunned. It wasn't Peter just Peter that wouldn't eat with the Gentile Christians either. It was all the rest of the Jewish Christians in the Antioch church that used to eat with the Gentile Christians before this mob came down from Jerusalem. Even Barnabas, no less, went and joined Peter and the rest of the Jewish Christians. They joined Peter's hypocrisy, separating themselves from their own believers in Christ during the potluck meals. Verse 13. Paul knew his fellow Jews were in error, and he wasn't afraid to stand up to the apostle Peter, the great one of the main, if not the main pillar, pillars of the church. Like my pastor used to say, there's the pillars of the church and there's the caterpillars. You've heard that one before. And you know what I mean. Thank God we've got pillars here this morning. Amen. What happens when the pillars, pillars go? What, what, what then? We better pray the Lord will bring new people in. Because if we don't have people, we don't have a church. Are we praying? Are we praying enough? I don't know. You can see the, lots of space in here. He opposed Peter face to face. He wasn't afraid to stand up to Peter, who was older than him. 
the main pillar of the church. Didn't matter to Paul who he was. Didn't wait to send a letter to the other apostles in Jerusalem complaining about Peter's actions. Didn't wait. Confronted him face to face. Now, we've got lots of information regarding church discipline and what we ought to do when someone is an offense within the church. <clears throat> and Paul confronted Peter face to face, and that was the right thing to do. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, a brother who sins against you, this is what Jesus said. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Between the two of you. You don't invite anybody else along initially. You go talk to them face to face. Between the two of you. If he listens to you, that means if he agrees with what you're saying and he says, sorry, brother, you know, I was in error. Forgive me for this or for that. You have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, you take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen, even to the church, treat him as if you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right? So initially, you talk to the person face to face if there have been an offense within the church. And if you're convinced that somebody is doing harm to the church, the body of Christ, then use the direct approach first, face to face. And if that doesn't work, you go to the leadership to avoid the problem from getting worse. Because if you don't deal with the problem, it will get worse. You, you know, you can't brush stuff under the carpet. I've tried it. It doesn't work. You think it's going to get better? It doesn't. I know from personal experience, being a pastor, so you can take my word for it. So Paul starts, he talks about justification. He said, we're all one in Christ now. What are you doing? I don't care if you're a Jew or a Gentile. We've all been justified by faith in Christ, not by keeping the law, because you can't even keep it yourselves. Justification is through faith in Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Verse 16 clearly states that our justification or our standing before God righteous is obtained through believing faith in Jesus alone. Not trying to keep the Old Testament law. That doesn't save anybody. If it did, think about this. If the Old Testament law could save anybody, why did Jesus need to come? Does that make sense? There it is in a nutshell. 
If it could save anybody, why would Jesus even bother coming? Amen? Paul's not saying the law is wrong. He's not saying it's bad. Paul was a devout Jew, more devout than any of them, probably. And he, he himself states in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, the law is good. The law is holy. But it ain't going to save you. Can't. It's there to lead you to Christ. Show us that we're sinners, that we're lost. Of course, the law is an important role to play today amongst us as believers. It reveals God's moral standard of righteousness, doesn't it? So we can guard against our natural bent towards sinning. Oh, swipe this computer I like this computer wait a minute my conscience will tell me the law says that's a sin to steal so I won't take it see I've got one of my own anyway <laughs> which needs to be replaced by the way but you don't want to hear about that thankfully though when we do break God's law because we're Still got that old nature. Well, what the Holy Spirit does, he convicts us of our sin. Tells us we're out of bounds. Points us to God to ask for forgiveness. So we can be restored back into fellowship. And have peace with God. Again, confession is good for the soul. If you're miserable and you're unhappy, and you're not at peace, maybe you need to do some confessing. Get along with God. Work it out with him. And he'll show you what the problem is. And then you confess it to him, and he'll forgive you. And he'll bring a peace in that only he can give you. Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. Bought me, you sought me, bought me. What's the rest of it? He sought me and bought me with his, with his redeeming blood. And I won't go on because I don't know the rest of it. But as good as we think we are, we can never keep the commandments, the Ten Commandments, 100% of the time by our own willpower. Or religious activities. You see, that's what they were doing. They were keeping their religious activities, even though they were new creations in Christ. None of us can stand innocent before God except by receiving Jesus Christ's righteousness, by believing faith in what he did on a cross. Justification or our standing innocent before God as if we had never sinned cannot be earned it is not deserved we don't deserve it we can't earn it we can't get it in any other way it must be received as a gift from God by placing our faith in what Jesus has already done on the cross nobody can justify themselves 
by the deeds of the law. By abstaining from certain types of food, like those Jewish Christians did. Or observing the Sabbath day, like so many people do today. They observe the Sabbath day, even though they're not Jews. It's not going to help them one bit. The Sabbath was yesterday. Amen. For Christians, we worship the Lord on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. Jesus fulfilled the whole law because he was perfect. And we are saved through faith in him. Are no longer under the curse of the law, but under grace. But it's not cheap grace. That doesn't give us a license to sin. I'm not saying that. What do you mean by the curse of the law? Well, the Old Testament said, if you sin, then you'll die. That's a curse. But the New Testament said, if you believe, then you live. You see the difference? That's the difference between law and grace. You want to live under the law again? Then live like a sinner. In order for us to be able to stand before a holy, 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 righteous God and not be condemned, there had to be a blood sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission. There can be no forgiveness of sins. Only God can justify sinners. And because Jesus is God, he was willing and able to die and pay the penalty for our transgressions by shedding his own sinless, spotless, pure blood on that cross so our sins could be washed away. Our sins are washed away. And my night was turned to day. So, let's conclude. What can we learn from this message? What have we learned this morning? Even in our day, there are spiritual lone rangers who are dangerous and they may even claim to be Christians and maybe some of them are and what they do they enter into church assemblies but they do not follow all of what the Bible teaches or believe some of it the stuff that they like in it but they don't believe all of it That's why the church need leaders to be willing to stand up for what's right and confront, if necessary, those people who would go against what's written in the word of God. Amen? Those who seek to have their own way. And many, because they can't get their own way, they'll go somewhere else and do the same things that they did in the churches where they were before, if they go there at all, 
and with these verses teach is that when we're tempted to confront and I'm the last person that want to confront people I just don't I just don't like to do it when we're tempted not to confront strong-minded people and these people are normally strong-minded because strong-minded people normally want to get their own way amen they deviate from the truth and if we're tempted not to confront them just not to upset them not to rock the boat just to keep the status quo but we should never compromise what the word of God says just to get along with them even though it may embarrass them when you confront them face to face man to man and upset them, even cause them to leave the fellowship. If they were spirit-led, they would stay. But no, that's their choice. If they want to leave, there's a door over there, there's one. Verse 11 clearly teaches that we must stand against anyone even leaders in the church. If I'm in error, you come confront me, okay? If you dare. I'll listen. But if you're wrong, I'll tell you. But if I'm in the wrong, I'll agree with you. You know, I was in a church before, and there was this guy, he was one of the leaders in the church, a deacon, no less, and he had a beef he had an issue with another person. And instead of following biblical principles and the teaching, what Jesus said to go talk to that person himself, he comes to me and asks me to go talk to him. See, he was like Peter. He was afraid to upset and confront the person he had a problem with. So he asked me to do it. So what did I do? Did I go off and... No. I said, you talk to him. You're the one that's got the problem with him. You should talk to him. Not me. He's got my problem. I haven't got a problem with him. You go talk to him. Probably didn't. Probably didn't. Afraid, worried about rocking the boat, being scared of what he might say and how he would react and treat him. See, that goes against what Jesus said. If you've got a problem with your brother, you go to him first. If he doesn't listen, then you bring two or three witnesses. If he still doesn't listen, then you bring it to the church. If he still doesn't listen, then you kick him out. Thankfully, like in Corinth, they did that to a person that was living in sin, having a relationship with his mother-in-law, an illicit sexual relationship with his mother-in-law, and they had to bring about the church discipline, and eventually he came back, he was convicted of his sin, he repented of his sin, and he was restored back into fellowship because he repented. He did the right thing. And they they welcomed him with open arms and that's what we should do 
We should never compromise the truth just to get along. Even leaders like Peter, pillar of the church, he wasn't walking in line with the truth, the truth, the truth of the gospel. People of integrity should never compromise the truth. Paul was a man of integrity. He didn't care what Peter thought. <clears throat> Regardless of his position and his status as being the pillar of the church, people of integrity should never compromise the truth. One example, and I'll finish close with this. True story. There was a Cherokee Indian named Will Rogers. Some of you may have heard of him. But you didn't know he was a Cherokee though, did you? Yeah, you learn something. You know, you learn a lot if you keep coming. He was. American stage and film actor, vaudeville performer, cowboy, humorist, newspaper columnist, social commentator. It was very, very popular. This must have been back in the 30s, I would say. So much so, it was so popular that many companies, firms, wanted him to promote like they do today. You know, you get some basketball player or NFL player and they pay them huge amounts of money to promote their product because they do it for this, the money, the zilch. So, because he was so popular, Will was asked by this famous piano executive, which his company obviously made these pianos. He wanted Will to promote his product. So, because Will was a man of his word and a man of integrity, and he wouldn't compromise the truth, he wrote back to the man and said, Dear Sir, I can honestly say that your piano is the best that I've ever leaned against. a man of integrity, wouldn't compromise the truth. Just like Paul did with Peter, he made a stand for what is right. He made a stand for what is true, even opposing powerful people within the church. It was necessary then, and it's still necessary in our day. Why? To preserve the truth of the gospel which we dare not compromise. We dare not compromise. And remember, the devil is a liar and he is the father of lies. But Jesus is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the father but 
by me. Amen? Amen. Let's close word of prayer. Father, we do thank you that we're here again to gather together, that we are one in Christ, been justified by faith, by believing faith, faith that you gave us to believe. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And help us not to separate ourselves from one another. We're all one in Christ. And let us remember that, that you do, do not show any favoritism towards any one believer, whether they're in leadership or not. Thank you for the Apostle Paul who was willing to stand up for the truth. We have his testimony here that we've learned about this morning. And if we have to confront somebody who's an offense, may we do it face to face and hopefully that person can seek forgiveness. Sometimes we sin in ignorance. We're not aware that we're doing it. And uh, we can be offensive. We can even be a stumbling block to people without even knowing it. So if we're ever confronted, help us to be gracious enough to accept it, ask for forgiveness, and move on in fellowship together. Some of you may be listening to this message wherever you may be, on the radio or by the podcast. And many people will never meet. Maybe we'll meet you in heaven one day, I hope so. But only if you believe that Jesus died for your sins because you're a sinner. He paid the penalty that you couldn't pay to earn a home in heaven. And he died for you because he loves you. He was willing to make that sacrifice and suffer for you, a sinner that didn't deserve it, but he did it. That's how much he loves you. Shed his sinless blood so you can be forgiven of all your sins. That's good news. Have you received Jesus as your savior? You can do it. You can do it right now. Say, Jesus, I'm so sorry for being responsible for putting you on that cross and all that you suffered, the nails, the humiliation, the crown of thorns. You bled and died for me. And I believe in my heart that you rose again from the dead, having been buried. And I believe that you are alive and I ask you to save me. If you prayed that prayer, and you meant it, and you've passed from death to life. And then continue to find a church that teaches and preaches the truth. And don't be deceived by the false prophets that do not believe. The Bible is the true word of God. And grow in faith and in the knowledge of the Savior. And share your faith with others so they too can hear the good news that Jesus saves. Amen? Amen. Thank God that Jesus saves. Thank you again for tuning in. 
You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you find podcasts. We'd love for you to join us at the First Baptist Church in Coleraine for Sunday morning worship at 11 a.m. We are located at 81 Foundry Village Road, Coleraine, Massachusetts. If you have any questions or inquiries, please feel free to call the church at 413-624-8886. Hope to see you soon. God bless.